But she said, and then we realized that that person was you. And then we realized that you were one of the critically injured people. And she said, that goes against the science. Hey, it's Ben here, and welcome back to another amazing testimony on Revival on the Air today. I interview Pastor Peter Moore from the Central Coast, who tells a harrowing story of his family in a car, an out-of-control truck. It's an amazing story of both protection and healing. I won't spoil it anymore because there's a lot to talk about. Enjoy. God bless. Pastor Pete, welcome to Revival on the Air today. Thanks, Ben. Really good to be here. So we had a long conversation on the phone the other day, just one of those off-the-cuff conversations, uh, which we both said we should have recorded at the time. So here we are actually doing the, the now real recording of your amazing testimony. Yeah, well, um, I'm happy to talk about it anytime, absolutely. So we're doing this remotely. This is our first remote podcast interview. Uh, so nice, Wow. Hope- yeah, you are, you're, you're the first. I'm a crash test dummy in more than one way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what we title this episode, crash <laughs> test dummy. <laughs> hey, whatever gets the listeners in, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe just a quick sort of snapshot on, on Pastor Pete. So you've been a disciple of God for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I guess my parents, they used to be part of one of the big mainline religions. and. Um, yeah, they just thought, oh, it's the biggest, it must be right. And they were, I think they were pretty dedicated. Um, you know, Dad would go and mow the lawns at the church and stuff like that. As a kid, you know, you don't, you sort of just remember the vibe wherever you go rather than any of the information. And yeah, my uncle, who was living a really wild lifestyle, he turned up with his Bible under his arm one day. And um, was it Bob Hutton? He was. Yeah, yeah no, Bob, Bob Hutton. Yeah. And uh, he'd been healed of addiction and all these things overnight. Anyway, they watched him for about a year and uh, he showed them things in their Catholic Bible uh, that they hadn't opened um, really. And, yeah, they were amazed. They saw that he only got stronger in his faith rather than it being some sort of fad. And, yeah, so I, I my parents came to this um, this church, uh, the Revival Fellowship, when I was five. So I've grown up since then. And, um, yeah, obviously, you know, you get to a point where you go, well, is this something I do because my family does it? or and, and God really moved within me and upon me. And now people say, well, do you, uh, you know, you believe in God? And I say, I can't not believe. My only choice would be to try to live in denial because – I, I can't not believe I've seen too many things, amazing things. And now you're pastoring the work up at uh, the Central Coast in New South Wales? Yeah, great, great fellowship, great bunch of people up here. Beautiful place. Come for a visit, anyone, if you're hearing this. So you had a uh, amazing and tragic and challenging experience recently when you were setting off on some travel. Yeah, when I think back on it, so it was July 10, 2020, just a normal day. It's fa- strange how these things happen on just normal days for normal people. My mother had been staying with us, Bridget. We thought we really need to get her back to her home in Goulburn. And we thought, well, okay, we'll all travel down there and take her back and stay for a couple of days. And then we got in the car, set off, driving down the M7 through Sydney, 
stop at a, a rest stop just after the in, end of the M7. They're pretty organised over here in in New South Wales. They they've got a, a truck area that's parallel to the highway that they turn into first, and then further on um, or parallel to that is the um, the general vehicle. There's picnic benches. There's a coffee mm-hmm. caravan there and bathrooms and everything. Yeah, so we pulled off there, and it was actually really quite busy because of school holidays, and we couldn't find a park straight away. And then pulled into this car park, and um, that's when all the uh, the stuff happened. Shortly after the commotion, so so you guys in the car, outside the car, what happened? What happened next? Yeah, okay. Um, so my mother, my wife Katie, and my two teenage sons, Caleb and Nathan, were with me, and I got out the car first. And I I don't really the timing of that moment escapes me a little bit because later Katie said to me, oh, wow, you got out the car really quickly. And I didn't even need to go to the bathroom. So I wasn't, you know, <laughs> going going fast for any reason. I got out the car and all the rest of them were still in the car. Later, I found out that Nathan was probably about one second away from exiting the car on the side where the impact happened. So it could have been very, very different. So I was standing out on the grass facing the cars that were parked nose to the curb, kind of looking back at our car. And I remember thinking, hmm, I wonder why they're taking so long to get out the car. And as I was standing there, pretty calm, peaceful spot, grass fields around, etc. Then I heard this really loud, massive rumbling sound. And I turned to my left and the entrance to the rest stop. And I saw a double semi-trailer coming into the rest stop, obviously out of control, like weaving and had picked up a gum tree and a picnic bench shelter or crashed into it and it, nothing. It was like a fly on the windscreen. It was a juggernaut, not stopping for anything. Yeah, I, I felt fear at that moment. And I think that the, the fear escalated very quickly when I joined the dots of the truck. It was heading straight for the car that my family was inside. So the thought that I had was I'm going to stand here and watch them get annihilated by this double semi-trailer, which amplified my fear greatly. What did you do next? Well, you know how people say things go slow motion? It's true, they do. But it only went slow motion for a very short moment. And what happened was I just said a two-word prayer, which was, no, Lord. I know that's not that eloquent or sophisticated, but it was the most heartfelt thing I've said, I think, in my life. And it was a real plea to the Lord, to God. And um, that it went slow motion just enough for me to say those words, and then the rest was fast. But the amazing thing was, as soon as I said those words, you know, that's one thing I learned from this whole experience is that sometimes you know, we say there's no words sometimes to describe how we feel. Sometimes there's no time either. But God doesn't need the words or the time because he's God. And as soon as I'd said that word, no, Lord, I just immediately felt this incredible peace. And, you know, I guess some people were listening to this, they might not be used to praying or talking to God or you know, pouring out their heart to God. 
But I can say there's times of prayer where I have where I say things to God and I pour everything out to him and there's nothing left unsaid. You know those times when you talk to God and you pray to him and everything's been said and you know he's He's heard and he's understood. That's how I felt from that two-word prayer and real assurance. Tell me about the peace because that's that's one of those things that's hard to explain why that happens other mm-hmm. than we know, obviously, that the Lord's promised that in Philippians 4, mm. but this peace that passes, you know, all understanding. Yeah. Well, it is a hard thing to describe because we we as humans, we rely on our logic. We rely on our emotions, our sight, our senses. But um, the senior detective who came to our house a few months after the event, and maybe I can tell you more about that later, but she talked to me about the psychology of what happens at an event like that, that our senses all become overwhelmed. You know, logic fails. People do silly things in traumatic experiences, you know, unusual things. The peace that I felt that day it was really about, I, I sort of describe it, that it was like I was standing there, I was watching something that was happening to someone else. I was standing there with God. Now, I didn't see God, but boy, did I feel him. You know, just the power of God, but the power of God manifested, not in, you know, explosions or fire or all those things people might think, but the power of God expressed in an incredibly powerful peace and assurance, like absolute stability amongst total chaos. And I often say to people, I try to describe it, and it's like if you had a hula hoop, you know what those are? Probably use them on weekends and stuff, Ben, when you're getting some R&R. Yeah, I haven't for a little while. But, uh, I've put on a little bit of weight. I can't quite get in my normal hula hoop, but uh, anyway. <laughs> if you had a hula hoop and a wedding ring, you know, interlocked, small circle, big circle. The small circle was stuff that was happening around me, the accident, noise, crashing, pain, screams of people, etc. But the big circle was this powerful assurance, like there was something bigger going on that day. And whilst I was part of what was happening in the little circle, that's why I use a hula hoop as an example, because the scale of the two, even though what was happening around me was really big, if you like, the thing that God made me feel, this incredible peace and something bigger going on, I was part of both. Not just what was happening on earth, but the thing that was happening with God, I was part of that. And what God was doing was bigger, more powerful. Mm, amazing. Yeah, I, I know that Emmy and I have had some pretty horrific accidents and other things through our lives, and there's been a number of them where near fatal experiences, mm. uh, the prayer has resulted in that same peace. And others around experiencing the same event didn't have it. Mm. And it's not logical. Yep. It's because it's spiritual. It's not a logical um, response to, uh, to it. So I look forward to talking a little bit more about uh, what the police lady was saying. So, mm. so you've got this piece, mm-hmm. okay, this short two-word two, two prayer. What happens next? Well, I see something move out of the corner of my eye, sort of to the left of me, because my whole focus, I was just transfixed on the car that was holding my family. I knew the truck was coming, but I wasn't watching the truck. And so this thing moved, and when my eye 
I started to focus on it, I realized it was a Subaru badge at about chest height that was maybe a couple of meters from my body. What had happened is the truck, I think, had hit a Toyota Kluger, an SUV. And you know the old school pinball machines where they have the flippers? Yeah. You young people just won't even know what that is, but you're missing out. Anyway, um, it acted as like one of those flippers. It The truck hit it. And this car, yeah, I saw photos of it afterwards. You couldn't recognize what sort of car it was. It was just annihilated. It had swung around and flipped and hit the back of the Subaru next to our car. That had all hit our vehicle as well. But also it, at the same time, launched that um, vehicle, uh, what I think is about 15 metres forwards in the air. So I, I don't understand all the forces that were at play. So that car, the, the grill of that car hit me in the chest and because I was turned to the left to see the truck coming in, my arm was across my chest. My right arm was across my chest. So that took the full initial blow. And I didn't lose consciousness through any of this. I remember every aspect of the impact, which is an interesting kind of thing to go, oh, yeah, I remember it hitting me in the chest. And then I remember my legs sort of feeling like they were getting, my especially my left leg going under the car or sort of bending up under the car. But I actually went over the car. So I went over the bonnet. And I smashed the windscreen in with my head. You know how sometimes you bump your head on something? This wasn't that. I had literally smashed the windscreen in with my head. And I've got a photo of the windscreen. Uh, my brother managed to, you know, my brother Cole, he got in there and took a photo of this windscreen. And you can see my, my head smashed it in. Then my right arm sort of went around and we think the injuries that happened to that arm were because the mirror had been smashed off the side of the car and my arm sort of went around and impaled itself onto the broken mirror and that sort of thing. Uh, and then I got thrown forwards about six or so metres, hit the ground. When the car hit me, I remember thinking, that's the hardest anything's ever hit me in my life. <laughs> Such a weird thing to think of. But I remember thinking that in an instant. And then I hit the ground and I remember as I hit the ground, just kind of lying there and I knew that I wasn't supposed to move because, you know, you hear all those stories of neck and back injuries and all those things. So, yeah, I stayed there. And actually, when I hit the ground, once again, you know, this is all God. You know, I'm not strong or brave or agile or any of those things. I'm maybe a little bouncier than the average person, but last I checked, that's not a superpower. Um, <laughs> but I remember hitting the ground and it wasn't, it's not me. This is the whole thing. No matter who I tell this story to, they realize that they sort of often make an exclamation that is really a statement of faith, even if they're not someone who believes in God. And so when I say this next thing, when I hit the ground and I was lying there, I don't know how long it was, but it felt like instantly I just had this scripture come to mind and I said it like a prayer, you know, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because I honestly, I didn't know if I was dying. I'd never done dying before. So I, I knew there was a lot of pain involved in what was happening, but I just, it just came to me straight away. And I honestly believe this is the thing about having the Holy Spirit 
living inside a person is that they're never separated from God. Whatever they go through, God is already there. And that's what he really showed me on that day is that I believe this was God causing me to say these things and have these thoughts because logic, emotion, you know, all my sort of natural senses, they're not functioning in that situation. It's interesting because you say, you know, you're not agile or you're, you know, you're not swift or maybe a little bit bouncy, but what you are is a man of God, right? That's all of those natural things are likely to have helped anyway, right? But the one thing that did was that you were a man of faith. Yeah, and I'm, I'm no more a man of faith than anyone else. I'm not super spiritual. I just hadn't come off the back of a 40-day prayer and fast. You know, I wasn't reading my Bible as I was flying through the air. It's really just, I think, about the grace of God and his commitment to me. It's not about anything I've done. Yeah. So you're lying on the ground. You've, uh, scriptures come into your head about, you know, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. What happened next? Well, obviously the very first thing I thought was about my family. And it was sort of, uh, I was so glad of that incredible peace and assurance because without that, lying on the ground, not being able to move, not being able to see what had happened to them would have been incredibly torturous if it wasn't for the fact that I knew God had, and it wasn't a knowledge in my head, it was an absolute assurance. God had heard me and he had it all covered. So I, I did wonder about my family, like where are they, what's happened? So that was the first thing. I could also... Um, I could feel the jacket, the sleeve of my jacket um, on the right arm filling up with blood pretty quickly, which I didn't think was a good thing. I'm not a doctor, but I felt like that's probably not a positive. Blood needs to stay inside. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've learnt that, yeah. So then, you know, breathing was actually difficult. I didn't realise the injuries I had. Actually, my right arm... I honestly wasn't sure if it was attached to my body still. I know that sounds pretty gruesome um, because it felt like a bag filled with rocks. Like I couldn't move my fingers. I couldn't, all I could do is feel pain and it felt like a sort of a dead limb, if you like. Anyway, I'm lying there and just focusing on breathing because that really hurt. I I didn't realize at the time, but I'd broken nine ribs uh, or nine breaks to my ribs and so breathing was actually quite quite difficult, but but you know, once again, that peace and that assurance, not once did I panic. I didn't feel panic. I felt incredible peace. And this is the thing that I think some of the medicos, you know, the social worker who came to visit me in emergency and then in hospital a couple of times a day for the time I was in there, you know, they were really puzzled by this. So then after a while, Katie, my wife, when the accident happened, she checked how everyone was in the car. They were okay. Like I say, Nathan was just about to get out the car and Caleb, she and ran. That was to- where the, and on that side where Nathan was about to get out, that was the impact location of the that's truck, right. was it? Yeah, yeah well, well, that's, well, that's the side where the, um, the forester that hit me hit sideways into our car, scraped all the way down the side of our car while it was being launched forward. I, I can't imagine the forces that were at work there, but yeah. And actually, sadly, that side of our car, a young girl died there. She and her 
her family were getting into their car when the truck hit and um yeah she she died she passed away there so this was a this this accident you know made all the news channels um you know it affected many people and how fast was the truck coming into the rest area it's it's, it's hard to gauge i haven't heard any reports on that and obviously really hard to to gauge from me kind of looking at it and seeing it but it was more the the wildness of the trajectory of the truck how it was behaving it was just out of control like i thought maybe about 60 or 80 k's but i i can't be sure about that so yeah i think they left about um six or eight people in critical condition um, from the accident, I'm really surprised that there it wasn't more people because of how busy it was there, and even you know the contrast between driving in on this you know, beautiful day and families and people living their life in a normal way on their way to destinations and and then in an instant everything changes the landscape the and mostly the the human feelings and experience and. Yeah, so Katie, um, once she checked everyone was okay in the car, she ran to the truck driver because um, she's a primary school teacher and she's got some training and um, she thought, oh, this guy must have had a heart attack. I'm going to have to do CPR. But when she got to the truck, uh, he wasn't actually in the truck anymore. Um, He got out and he was sort of walking around. And then she had this thought, oh, Peter's not where he was before. I wonder where he's gone. So she came looking for me and um, eventually she found me um, and she she didn't have a thought that I'd be injured or anything. She found me and she was pretty upset and I was it was amazing because I was saying, I'm okay. I don't know how many times I said that. I just, I was communicating to people going, it's all right, I'm okay. And it all came from that peace. You know, it's, it wasn't me and it was remarkable. So you know, then my mother came over and, and the two boys came over and we're a family that is um, filled with the Holy Spirit, all of us filled with the Holy Spirit. And they laid hands on me and they prayed and they all spoke in tongues. They prayed in the Holy Spirit because that's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit is that when our senses are overwhelmed, Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf with words we can't utter, things we can't express. When our senses are overwhelmed, the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf. And i got to say, with them all praying for me, I thought, if you're going to go, this is how you want to go, right? Not that I wanted to go, but with all these people praying for you, it was just really, really special, really amazing. So then... Amazingly too, it just coincidentally, there was, I believe, um, uh, a triage doctor and an SES officer on, on the scene at the accident when it happened. So I remember this person running around and kind of assessing people. I think they thought I was okay because there were people that were worse off than me and some maybe less so. But then I remember the sound of ambulances and then the sound of drones not not big really? U- not us drones you yeah. know uh, 
Not strike drones. That's right. That's right. Uh, Not that. Um, So the news channels had arrived and also I guess the police the police also use the drones to, you know, assess the, the situation. Mm. We've got some footage of that, I think, which we'll include in the link to the show notes yeah. so that people can have a, have a look at that if they're interested. Yeah, so if you are looking at that one, our car is the one with the black roof pod on the roof. Uh, and you can see it's right in amongst all everything that happened. Uh, and the car was written off, uh, but that'll help you sort of locate mm-hmm. our, our vehicle. So then they sort of, you know, went to roll me over and uh, when the medicos came and look, I got to say, honestly, every ambulance officer, every police officer, every surgeon, every doctor, every nurse, everyone that I've had interactions with in this whole situation. And it's more, I've met more medicos than I knew existed um, since the accident. They've all been incredible. Like, full credit to people who devote their lives, their time, their expertise to help other people. And I just want to say that. But God's working at a different level, right? Because he's God. But I don't want to take away from what those people did to help us and our family. And uh, So anyway, they, they put me in so many braces, I felt like I was a mummy because, you know, they thought that I'd broken my back, my neck, my pelvis. Um, I had Katie said to me um, that I look like a Klingon from Star Trek. <laughs> if you're a Trekkie, um, I'm not really a Trekkie. I just casual Trekkie sometimes from looking for something cheesy to watch. But having smashed the windscreen with my head, when I was lying on the ground, I could feel what one hand was on my head and I could feel my head sort of blowing up at the front. This really big on my forehead, uh, big hematoma that was there. They sort of didn't really discover, I don't think. Well, what they did is they cut all my clothes off with these scissors sort of thing. When they did, Katie said it wasn't a pretty scene when they cut the right side of my jacket because blood just went everywhere, which had all been held inside the the jacket. Yeah. So, yeah, they thought I had a lot really extensive injuries, which normally you would. I remember in the ambulance, yeah, my boys said later, are we – we're sort of famous now because we got onto all the news channels. They invited the boys into the ambulance to say goodbye to me before I went to the, the hospital. Katie read that scene in a little bit of a different way, the sort of goodbye thing. Yeah, I, I can think. imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Katie said, I went grey, like a sort of a dark grey colour in my complexion, which I can't really imagine. But someone in the medical field said, oh, that's because the blood is going awesome. to your vital organs and... I must say that when the ambulance officers got there, I was at the end of the my energy that I had and probably the adrenaline that I had. Uh, I didn't feel – I still felt the peace incredibly, but I, I was ready for some assistance at that point. Uh, I don't know how long that was. They put me in the ambulance and in all these braces, I, I couldn't move at all. And I remember the senior ambulance officer was training – another ambulance officer while we were driving. And he said to her, I'm so glad that you've seen this. Uh, um, this was a, a wound, one of the wounds on my right arm because it the skin was ruptured on the inside of my arm and flesh was protruding out of it. Sorry to listeners who have got a weak stomach. And he said, look, now that you've seen this, you know what a compound fracture is 
because this is a textbook one. You can see that the impact has happened, the bone has broken and, and pushed out through the arm. And I, frankly, I was, okay, I'd had some morphine at that point, so I was feeling a little optimistic. I remember saying in emergency, oh, yeah, I think I'll go back to work in a couple of days, I'll be fine. But I remember clearly him saying this, this is a textbook compound fracture. Got to emergency and it was a real flurry of activity in there. Like it was all hands on deck. It was a major accident. Everyone was involved. I remember being in the bed and them kind of coming to check me out and everything. And they saw that wound on my my arm, my forearm, the inside of my forearm. They said, oh, look, that, that looks really bad. And I said, oh, that's not the worst one. And I pulled back the bandage on my bicep. Unfortunately, one of my sons was at the wrong angle and got to see what was under the bandage and had to lie down for a bit. And they were like, whoa, oh, that's that's really full on. And anyway, what had happened there was that the I found out later, this, after I'd had surgery a couple of days later, the surgeon came to talk with me. And they said that this particular wound on my bicep, something had gone into the arm and had cut the bicep away from the bone, scraping up the bone all the way up my arm. And that's why, of course, I couldn't move my arm or hold it up or anything. And they said, you know, even in surgery, we're not sure that they said it's amazing that something that happened in high impact trauma like that missed the major artery, missed all these main things in the arm, nerves and tendons and those sort of things came so incredibly close. And they said, you know, we'd be, we'd be going in the surgery to do that cut in controlled circumstances. And they said to me, you know, if, if that wound had happened almost anywhere else on your body, you know, chest, neck, head, etc., you certainly wouldn't be here. And if it had come any closer and hit that major artery, you wouldn't be here either. So that's the common thing that I think everyone says is you should be dead. And I've walked into appointments with doctors and that's the first thing they say, not hello, not they're sitting there reading it and they go, they look up and they go, you should be dead. And it's like, hi, I'm Peter. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> you know, and then we get on with the pleasantries. But what a constant, what an amazing constant reaffirmation of what God's done for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess people who think that Christianity is about going to church. I wasn't at church when this happened. I wasn't in a building that was special or anything. And that's the thing that God says is he makes us the church, like we become the temple, he lives in us. And and then it's all about relationship. That's what it's about. It's about relationship with God. And it's a it's a privilege, that's for sure, mm, to have the relationship absolutely. and be alive. Yeah, we're in this world and things happen to us. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we know that scripture that the you know, it rains on the just and the unjust, um, but the difference between us and and the average person out on the street is that God dwells inside of us, mm. and He has these opportunities to show His power and His might and His grace through circumstances that happen to us like this. Mm. Yeah, there's a verse that says in in the Bible about you know Jesus came to deliver us who lived our whole life with the fear of dying. And I think that's the great thing about Christianity. The great hope is that we know 
that we have something beyond this body, this life. So lots of things happen to us. It's no different. I, I mean, I said to Katie, you know, amazingly, I've never, ever asked why this happened. A lot of people get stuck on that. And I, it's, you can't answer that question. And I said to her, you know, like it's. You, know, you actually can answer that question. Right? Yes. And so, right, we can yeah. answer that question because yeah. there's an exact exact example of that in the New Testament where they approach, I think they approach Jesus and say, you know, this guy over here, uh, was mm-hmm. it his parents that sinned or him? Yep. You know, why is he not well? And the answer is so that God might be glorified. And that's why I'm here. You know, that is the whole focus. You see, I said to Katie, you know, it to me, and I don't want to trivialise anything that happened at all. It was a really serious thing that happened. It doesn't get much more serious than that. But I said to me, it feels like when I boil something over on the stove, it's just something that happened. I didn't want it to happen. It just did. And that's the end of, to me, the why of trying to piece it all together. And, you know, a wonderful story about Job in the Old Testament. I mean, <laughs> the rain falling on the just and the unjust, there's a lot of rain that fell on that guy. But what's incredible is his friends and himself spent a long time, many chapters on why, why this was happening to him, why you're trying to find answers to why. And at the end of that book, this amazing statement that Job realizes, it's not about why, it's about who. It's about who God is. And God says to him, where were you when I created all this? And And at the end, Job says, you know, I thought I understood God. But he says, I was talking out of my hat. I was talking about uh, things that were too wonderful for me. And he says, I thought I understood, but now my eye sees you. Through his whole situation, he sees God more clearly, and that's worth everything. And I feel that way too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. We might include a few of those scriptures uh, in our show notes so people can go and read those stories because they really are great stories um, to, to mm. carry us through these really difficult times. So that was just over a year ago now. How are you today? I'm alive. Yes. Um, which is, uh, you know, a great thing. My family uh, are all well, praise God. Um, God really protected them, which is the most important thing to me. You know, there's so many things. We, this could be like five, six hours, I'm sure. But I'm doing so well. Like I think there was – I was in hospital for, for I think four nights, four days or something. Um, had some surgery, then came home. I remember, you know, things in the hospital. Like uh, one night late, there was a nurse who who came in and she said to me, oh, what did you do, fall off your mountain bike? <laughs> uh, you, you'll be able to relate to this because I know you ride bikes. And I said, oh, no, um, I, I was involved in an accident with a truck. And she kind of literally sort of stepped back and said, you're that guy. You're that <laughs> guy. And she said, we, we cannot believe the extent of your injuries. We cannot believe that you're alive, but your injuries should be, should be far worse than they are. And obviously they've been talking about it in the, the lunchroom or whatever nurses have. Uh, so I always sort of think about that in, in terms of progress now. So um, I'd fractured my knee. So that, look, I've still got niggling things that are ongoing. And I want to be open and upfront about that. Um, God saved my life. God has done, you know, 
And your family's life. That's right. But I remember, you know, I, I took a break from pastoring because I thought I can't care for the church when I'm in this situation. The most important thing is that I give myself to my family and recover. And there was a time after a number of months where, and I said, I'm not putting an end date on it. I'm just, I'll come back when I'm ready. And I think people are like, hmm, that sounds a little open-ended. Which probably would have been, a, I imagine, a not the normal Peter type conversation because you run pretty hard normally, don't you? Well, you know what? See, people said that would must have been so hard for you to make that decision to pull back from pastoring. And I said, it's the easiest decision I've made in decades. It was just like, well, my family need my full attention. My full attention is probably <laughs> limited compared to what it normally is. And, you know, I can't look after the church and I have absolute faith in the leadership team that we have here. So what's there to ponder on, you know? And it just was so clear. And I think the day the day I got home or the next day, I just messaged the guys and the, the leaders in the church and talk to them. And so, yeah, it was, and I think it's a really, you know, sometimes we can, we give a lot uh, and I'm not saying I do, but I think many, many people do. And if you're in a role in a church, in a leadership capacity, just everyone in the church is a servant. And I think sometimes we can get our priorities around the wrong way. Trying to keep, find and keep the balance is, is a constant thing. And um, I think it was a good message to the church too, that, hey, it's, it's not not about me. The Lord raises up people to lead and care for his his church. And um, it's a role that you perform. It's not about, and that's what I love in our fellowship. You wouldn't know who our pastors are. Yeah, they're just normal people. And the same with people who serve in such great ways um, in love for other people. And, you know, it's, it's actually God working through them. It's not about them or their personality or their being, you know. So yeah, step back from that. And actually when I, I also got a frozen shoulder, um, which the physio said, you know, from the trauma and everything that mm-hmm. it would be 18 months to two years before that fully frees up. When I came back to pastoring, I, I felt after prayer, the time was right, but I didn't feel physically like I was super ready. So I just said, I'm going to ease into it. But when I, the day I announced it to the church, that afternoon, my shoulder started freeing up. Like it was uncanny timing. Wow. It was right on the day. And I went to my physio a couple of days later and she was, she'd seen me three times a week, then twice a week, I think at the time, for quite a long time. And she said to me, this is not normal. This is not right. This should not, this is 18 months away, what's happening here. And, uh, you know, you don't need much more of an invitation than that to share the things that God's done in your life. I already had, but this was this was a really written invitation. It was really good. So I think that's one thing I've learned too, is that, you know, I've got ongoing things from this. I've got scars. I've got my elbow doesn't work very well. I can't play guitar like I used to. Some of my fingers are numb. You know, if I go for a bike ride, my knee takes a few days to recover. And, um, and those things will improve, I believe. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trusting God, but the main thing is I sort of had this different perspective on my body in that, you know, I guess all of us in life, things happen and we bear the scars of those things. You know, Paul says um, he bears the scars in his body. 
of Christ, you know, like of serving the Lord. And hey, I'm not comparing myself to him. I haven't been stoned or shipwrecked or anything like that yet. But for him, he says, I carry these scars and they glorify God. You know, glorify God in your spirit and in your body, both of which are the Lord's. And the the things that people can see, it just has this effect on people when you think, well, whatever scars our body has, you know, whether it's, we can still feel some emotion, maybe it's grief or maybe it's physical scars. Because we're in relationship with God, they all bring glory to God because he's the one who holds us. Like he's the one who is carrying us through. He's the one who's healed us or saved our life or or whatever. And that's a big part of what our body is for. You mentioned earlier on in our conversation about a policewoman that came to your house mm. and you said, "Let's we'll talk about that a little bit later. Can okay. you recall that story for us? Yeah, so um, obviously with an incident like this, there's a, there's a whole investigation, there's court proceedings and all of those workings. And, um, you know, just before I say this, someone asked me, have you forgiven the truck driver? And I, I, look, I'm not going to go into the details of why the accident happened, but from what I've heard, he, he really made some poor decisions. But, you know, this is part of the miracle that God has done. Not once have I ever felt any anger, malice, bitterness, nothing against that driver. Not ever. And um, forgiveness has been, it's like I didn't even need to forgive him because it was already there. It was like there before it happened sort of thing. So when this senior detective came to our our home, and, and once again, like amazing, you know, she could have just made phone calls to check up on how people were going. But she didn't. She got in the car and she drove for a few days up the coast to visit all the families, people that had been affected by the accident. I just find that incredible. She came and I'd already put a statement in and she wanted to just double check the statement and that was all fine. But she talked about, she said to me, tell me your experience. And for me, I don't separate the God stuff and the physical stuff. They go together. And I know which of the part of the story is far more exciting to me. And it, so it's an opportunity. So I just told her everything that I've told you and more. And she sat there and she listened and she explained after I finished from her perspective, which I could never have known. I'm so glad she shared it with me. And she said that I don't believe in God, but she said, I believe you. And she said, I believe you felt that peace that you're talking about because your behavior defies the science. And I was like, what do you mean? Tell me more about it. You know what? And she said, well, as part of her role, there's a team that listened to all the triple O phone calls, you know, the 911 of Australia, you know, triple O. And she said, I think she said there are about 25 triple O phone calls made at the accident. So this is post-incident, so there's like an investigation team that are listening to what happened on the yes. calls. Yeah. yeah, so on the scene at the day, all these people are on their mobiles, they're calling Triple O, they're giving accounts of what happened, and there's a team that listen back to all those phone calls because it's all evidence. And she said that the team were listening to all the calls and in a couple of the calls they could hear this person in the background 
And she was saying that she explained basically the psychology that our natural senses get completely overwhelmed in a situation like this. So people who are ringing triple O, they'll be traumatized. They'll be crying, shaking. They'll be, you know, finding it hard to put into words what's happening. They're really overwhelmed. Even, you know, the bystanders, you know, who are making those phone calls. And so they have to listen to all the sounds and they have to listen to what people say as it of evidence. And they said, we could hear this person in the back of a background of a couple of calls and they were just totally calm. And the way they were talking, and so I think she said they had a nickname for this person. Uh, I can't remember what it was. But she said, and then we realized that that person was you. And then we realized that you were one of the critically injured people. And she said, that goes against the science. And what was amazing was that for so long, I'd been trying to tell people, you know, even my family, about the peace that I, I felt, how incredible and all-encompassing it was that I felt the presence of God right there with me. Like I, It's like I was standing there spending time with God, watching something happening to someone else. And, and yet to have someone who says that they don't believe in God break it down and tell me why they believe that I felt that peace was just, just really amazing to hear it from that perspective. I feel like it was a real, a real gift to be able to hear it from that perspective, from the other side, which I, I, I didn't know about how all those things happen. I love that multi-affirmation along the whole way from so many different people who mm. are not believers to affirm what God's done for you through that whole experience. Yeah, that's mm. amazing. And it is amazing to see, you know, for anyone listening, you don't have to have a flying car hit you for God to prove himself. Just as and probably most people prefer for that not to be that's the case. Right. <laughs> Come to our church and get hit by a flying car. No, it's not going to work on the marketing stuff. I don't know. But, you know, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you know exactly what I'm talking about, about God being real and being with you. And, you know, God's well able to prove himself if we just let him be God. That's the first big miracle, isn't it? Yeah, right. actually, actually, being filled with His Holy Spirit and He now dwells inside of you. If nothing mm. else happens after that, that's enough. Yeah, that's right. That's that's, a, right. that's enough. That's right. Yeah. So that was a really, um, really great sort of side to it. And and like I say, it's been just the most amazing opportunity to be able to tell so many people about what happened. And you know, all their once I tell the story, I see I see their face changing as I'm talking about the situation. You know, once last, I think the Christmas after the accident, went into a supermarket near Tali, which is um, a couple of hours north of the central coast here. And there was an old guy there and he was obviously unwell. I started talking to him in the supermarket and offered to pray for him. And he had some, yeah, obvious needs there. And he said to me, oh, what's happened to you when he saw my arm? And I said, oh, I was told him just in truck accident past the M7. He said, 10th of July, 2020. I was like, what? And he he said he watched that on TV. He was with a whole bunch of mates and he said that he stopped him in his tracks and all of his friends were continually going on and sort of partying and everything. And he said he couldn't, and he kept saying to people, 
come and watch this. No, this is going to really affect these people. And he was really incredibly moved by it. And, you know, he remembered the date. This was, you know, six months later. And then I met him in this supermarket. Like, there's so many people that you start to talk to about this and they can't, it, it has to move them. You can see it moves them. Even if they're an atheist, they say something like, well, someone's looking after you. And I go, that's not something an atheist says. You know, the, the universe is not a someone, you know. So it's, it's just so much opportunity. So one thing I, I did want to share too is obviously with these situations, there's not just the physical injuries that you have. It's actually the mental and emotional trauma that, that goes along with it. And I said I, I felt that peace, that incredible, powerful peace, and I keep feeling it now. It's, it's not as strong as it was in the moment. I think I needed to be dialed right up then, but it's just, it's just the same essence. And I guess the thing is that you know we had an um, occupational therapist come to our home and and his role was to help me get back to work. And so he did this whole assessment on my physical injuries and how they affect my workplace. And, you know, I'm a graphic designer. So whilst I'm left-handed, my I use the right, uh, the mouse with my right hand. Yes. So, you know, the damage to that had an effect on my work and still does a bit. But what he said to me was, oh, okay, now we've been through all the physical issues. Tell me about your mental and emotional trauma, we need to address that as well. And I said to him, oh, I honestly don't have any mental or emotional trauma. And he looked at me like I've heard this before lots of times. Yeah. So I think he was putting me fair and square into the denial category, which I know is completely normal. And I said to him, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I told him the whole story as well. He said to me, okay, tell me about the accident. Tell me what happened on the day. And I think I'm pretty sure he was trying to trigger my emotions and the mental issues yep. by recounting the situation. And so I told him how I saw the truck come in. I told him about my two-word prayer. I told him about the peace, the incredible peace that I felt. And when I went to the hospital, another social worker said to me, you're going to have flashbacks. You're going to see this truck coming in. I said, I've already had them. I've ha I'm having them, you know, all the time. And he said, well, you know, this and this and this, this is all going to happen and you're going to deal with this. And I said, but just hang on a sec. I want to tell you something. What happens is once I say that two-word prayer, I feel the warmth and presence of God and the most incredible and powerful peace come over me. So I don't have any trauma. I don't have any emotional worries or feelings about this because at the moment I said to him, I know that if I didn't feel the presence of God and the peace, this incredible peace, that what happens next would be this black hole of chaos, of having no control. And I described how it, I know it would feel to him, but I said, I don't feel that. I just feel the warmth and presence of God and I feel this peace. And when I told this occupational therapist and the same, the social worker in the hospital, he, he called me the anomaly. And this occupational therapist at our home, he sat back in his chair and he, you know, when you, you see, you can hear the cogs ticking in someone's mind as they're trying to form the words. And he says, your faith saved you. 
And I was like, yes. Yes. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> you You've got nailed it, in one. it. Yeah, yeah. And he then just sat there and there's, you know, silence and he said, I just wish I could bottle this up and give it to everyone else I see. And, you know, they're the sort of statements that people make and it's like, you can. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship with God, you know. Anyway, I, I just thought that's an important little piece in the story too. Mm, amazing. Mate, thank you so much for taking the time to share the story uh, with us. Pleasure. Oh, and I've just been thinking, who interviews you? Uh, who interv- I've got a few stories to tell. Maybe we need to uh, find a good interviewer one day. You could do the job really well. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll reverse the, we'll the favour and... Uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll tell some stories about uh, yeah some of the amazing things that God's done for me. I I think people would really appreciate that. They, uh, you know, hey people, these things happen so that we can share them, right? So we need Absolutely. to do that. Lock in a date. All right, done. We'll do that. We'll once we're off, Mike, we'll find a date and we'll lock it in. Okay. And I'll I'll try and get my radio voice happening for that. <laughs> I think you did pretty well. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Pete. That was great. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. God bless. Yep, you too. Wasn't that amazing? I highly recommend that you head over to our website, revivalontheairtoday.com, to check out some of the photos and news articles of the accident. And we've got some great scriptures in there that we talked about as well. If you want God in your life to protect you or to heal you, to comfort you, to change you, to save you, then feel free to send us an email, podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com. Until next time, God bless.